You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week is a very movie-orientated podcast where I am joined by the all-powerful Jack. Now, Jack is a blogger, teacher, podcaster, and a film buff. He is involved with the Comics Emotion family quite a lot, doing Pop Gorillas, Seasons Greetings, and also soon to be some more indie comic spotlight stuff, as well as popping up here and there and a few other things, as well as the second edition of the Comics Emotion book club that will be out soon. And this is just a really big movie conversation, really. I mean, the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, uh, me and Jack talk about how he got involved with Comics Emotion in his like podcasting origin story. And then after that, we talk about lots of different movies, superhero movies, how his day job being a film studies teacher affects his enjoyment of movies, and then we also talk about our favourite directors and also what makes a film a cult classic. So that's just generally what we talk about in this episode. In part two, the conversation does continue, but that won't be out till next week. But if you're desperate to hear it and you want to support the show for as little as £1 a month, you get access to the full unsplit episode that is over two hours long. So if you've got a little bit of money to spare, you want to show some support to the show financially, go over to patreon.com slash genuinechitchat and you will get access to this as well as several other Genuine Church episodes that are full when they've been split into part one and part two as well as loads of other extra things such as mine and Megan's Afterthoughts shows. So links to that are in the description. Make sure you check that out. Aside from that, guys, there's not much else to say. I don't want to ramble on here too much but I will say that there is going to be a promo by Spider Dan and the Secret Boars that's going to be coming up in a moment and I've got a link to his website in the description where you can find all his contact information, social media, all that sort of other jazz as well so make sure you check out his stuff because it is brilliant so really guys aside from telling you to look in the description for all the other links and whatnot that you can expect in a usual episode uh, i hope you enjoy the show and i'll be back to talk about what's coming up in part two and what you can expect from genuine chit chat over the coming weeks so without further ado here is spider dan's promo and then my conversation with jack Hello, Spider Dan here of the Spider Dan and the Secret Balls podcast. Just wanted to give you a quick introduction on what I do and why you should check it out. My main mission for the podcast is to spotlight the best kept secrets in entertainment that a mainstream audience may find boring. I cover these topics in various different formats, including Secret Defenders, where I challenge my guests to defend their favourite films that are underrated, obscure or infamous or Clone Balls, where we compare similar pieces of media and see which one will be crowned the victor. And Secret Ball Stories, where we compile a top five list in high fidelity fashion. I have various guests from all walks of life, including friends, family, comic book professionals and actors, while also doing the odd solo podcast and Patreon YouTube video here and there. If you like entertaining and informative discussions and are sick of content creators covering the same old MCU and Netflix programming, take a walk on the wild and the weird side by joining the Protalion. Swing over to spiderdanandthesecretballs.com for all the information you may need, such as links to the podcast, social media accounts, and how you can support the podcast. That's spiderdanandthesecretballs.com. That's B-O-R-E-S. Thanks for joining me, and as always, prepare for prattle. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people, and I'm your host, Mike Burton. (laughs) 
and here we are for another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. I don't think I've said that at the start of a show in a long time. Uh, that's weird <laughs> to say because I normally waffle on in the intro about those sort of things. Um, but I'm here with Jack, who uh, we have yet to podcast together, which we've now done, which mm. is amazing. Uh, and I think we've got a few lined up in the future as well, which is going to be fun. And I'm sure there'll be many, many more. So welcome to the podcast, Jack. Why don't you tell people vaguely uh, well, how we got connected, I suppose, would be a good uh, place to start. Yeah, great. Thanks. But yeah, I mean, I think once this world starts, the, you know, as you say, it's the first one, the, the walls crumble, don't they? And that's it. <laughs> Suddenly we're, we, we can't get rid of each other, I think. That's definitely what I'm like. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that sounds terrible. I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> like I, just because the crew, the, the crew that I've now been pulled into are just such a bunch of wonderful, lovely guys, you know, including yourself, um, who are just, it's that corner of the internet. You know, you, you hear so much about the internet and how, it's a terrible place and it's full of negativity, but not if you stick to the right bits. Mm. And this group of people really are like what the internet should be, just a bunch of positive people who just want to talk and have discourse. Sometimes we disagree, but in a, in a mature way. Um, but mostly we're here to support each other, right? Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And that's why it's one of those things with the, the Comics in Motion family and things. It's just mm. like, I haven't had everyone on my podcast yet, but I think I have, apart from Aussie Steve, I think I've been at least in a podcast with someone else, um, either hosting or, or otherwise, in yeah. some sort of fashion. And it's, I'm certainly making it way around. It's it's just for my uh, listeners who aren't necessarily into, like for the people who like Comics Emotion, it's amazing because it's like, oh man, they're doing all these collaborations. And obviously we've mm. got uh, Paul's show, Geek on the Fantastic Universes uh, podcast, which you and I have both been on separately. <laughs> and it's just like, there's all these cool things, but it's like on my listener feed, it's like, okay, I've had some from Comics Emotion. I have to have a gap for a while. Yeah, I've, fair enough. Because, uh, you know, I've got the Star Wars show and I've got various things and comics emotion as well as genuine chit chat and it's like i don't want to just merge it all into <laughs> one for genuine chit chat because it's i it's very tempting to just just to release only star wars and nerdy stuff but mm. there's a few occasional things where it's like nope try and get another musician on or something yeah <laughs> and that's the beauty of this show though isn't it is that you can have that complete random and you know that is a little corner you know comics emotion i'm pleased you said that i should have said what the group is um that's a little corner for that isn't it mm. that's not that's not what this show is about this show is about all these different voices. That's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, saying that. So with with podcasting then, uh, let's mm. start with, obviously, you're involved with t- two, you're the host. I'll let you explain it. You're involved with two podcasts <laughs> primarily. Why didn't you talk about each of them? Yeah, sure. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, as I think mm. a lot of people do now. And then I came across Com- Comics Emotion, I think, just randomly. And I listened to a few indie comic spotlights, um, Tony's show and I listened to a few of Max's mandatory Marvel because that's kind of my world into it is mm. like reading comics um, so I just started sending some tweets up saying I've been listening to these guys I really like them and then at that point I was also um, re-watching Firefly mm. so with my partner we take it in turns so we do like it he picks she picks um, when we watch through a whole series oh we we do the same thing I will clarify I haven't seen uh, Firefly annoyingly it's on the very close to like very soon list i think invincible is just ahead of that at the moment i still haven't watched that but i totally know what you mean maybe we can help bump it up when i get you know because tony and i are getting there fairly soon well that's why i wanted to try and push it through because it's only short as well i think like one is it one season or is it yeah, two? one season 14 episodes that's yeah. it yeah sadly enough i've heard but and the movie serenity i think is the sequely sort of thing isn't it i think we'll talk about that as well yeah when we get there <laughs> so i sent these things out and i was yeah i was watching firefly so i was tweeting a lot about firefly because you know Let's, let's tweet about Firefly because Firefly is awesome. Um, so Tony co- cottoned on to both these things and put them both together. So just came at me really and just said, do you want to come on and talk about some Firefly comics? 
luckily I'd my fandom had taken me to the point where I had actually read those and that was my first appearance so I sort of leapt at the chance really to to do that I've never gone back and listened to it I listened to it when it first came out but now I feel like I'm a bit more experienced we're nearly a year now past that point and yeah it's a bit cringy I think I'll just pretend that's amazing that the content of that that episode but um yeah so I went on with Tony and that went well enough that we stayed in contact and just kept talking um I think Tony's that kind of guy as well that he just wants to if you meet somebody he has a kinship with he wants to you know keep a relationship mm-hmm. so we we're chatting and talking about other things we could go on together and then Max got in touch as well and invited me on his show too and then it just kind of spiraled from there and then on January of this year Tony got in touch with me and just said let's do something together um I know you love Buffy I love Buffy shall we rewatch it all and record a show about it um and he'd already spoken to Dave who I know I think you you coined the term podfather I think yeah. maybe um <laughs> well I didn't coin it officially I coined it for Dave I think I was the first person comics motion to call him that but it's mm-hmm. a term that's thrown around the podmosphere a lot so I can't <laughs> I uh, wish I could enough, have, yeah. I wish I could take the credit for that amazing thing but no I'm afraid not <laughs> But within our circles, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. give you we'll give you the ownership of that. Um, so he'd already kind of okayed the idea. So really, it was just we got on with watching and then collaborating, and then more and more things have have, have come from that. So yeah, we do the season's greetings as we've come to call it because we were just going to do Buffy, but we were really enjoying it. And we then thought, well, let's go on to Angel, and then let's go on and do Firefly. We'll cover off all kind of the Whedon shows that we want to do, and then we've now got a, like a work shared word document that's just got. God knows how many TV shows that we're thinking about doing um, for as long as we can keep it going. So we rebranded from Binging Buffy to Season's Greetings. And that, yeah, that's been really good fun. And I feel like that's been a, I've been on a massive learning curve of how to talk, <laughs> strangely, um, but, you know, in this realm. Mm. And then how to kind of co-host. For a long time, I felt like a guest. But I think now we've kind of evened out. where like, Tony is the lead because he's so good at doing that. But I think our voices have become fairly equal now in yeah. the show. So from there, I decided to go on. And when the Nevers came out, which was kind of Victorian Buffy, mm. I thought, what a better chance to step up and do something for myself. So, yeah, I took the lead on that and did the, covered the six episodes week by week because I know that's something else within the network, Comics Emotion Network, people do. I know you did for um, the Star Wars, didn't you, for the... Yeah. Uh, oh, for, no, for Mandalorian you did, didn't you? We did it for Mandalorian and then I was involved, me and my friend Tonya, we did two episodes on Loki, but I know what's the topic right. we're doing it as well. It's, it's kind of an amalgamation, like different people talk about it in, in sort of different ways. It sort mm. of depends. Um, I'm, Bad Batch is finished now. I keep thinking I should probably do a, another episode of that with Megan and Dave, but the thing is it's mm. just me and Dave especially I think Dave is arguably the bit him and Steve uh, I think are the two busiest people of the group I'm, mm. me and Tony are pretty even when it comes to busyness mm. with, specifically with podcasting but Steve is involved with three or four podcasts or something and right. then Dave like two main ones which is two best for dummies and I think uh, I Am The Knight which is the Batman animated yeah. series show he does with um, his son uh, Adam Ray with um, him and Dave and Chris, because Dave and Chris have got, you know, VHS Strikes Back and also uh, Chris and Dave's yeah. reality cast and then they're involved with the ra- and back to the office. So it's just like, I'm quite busy and Dave is probably one of the only other people who's even more mm-hmm. busy than I am. And it's like, I want to do it with him, but equally it's just like finding the time. And then we've got the book club yeah. coming up as well uh, and everything else, you know, being able to read all these things rather than podcasting every single day, which would be the dream. It would be. I mean, my partner takes the mick at me because I've got lists for everything. I've got lists for, you know, like films I want to watch, films from, I, I do it. I am a bit geeky, but you know, aren't we all? So I do it like year by year of like what's coming up. Then I need a list of like what, what's on my read list. What's it? Because I can't keep it all straight in my head. 
I've got the exact same. Okay. I've got a little notepad by my bed, which is comics that I have to yeah. get through. I've got a note list on my phone, which is films coming out in the cinema this year and the dates they're coming out. I've got one notebook, which has got stuff for Patreon and mm. also guests for Genuine Chit Chat. I've got one notebook, which is notes for one thing, another. I've got lists everywhere. So I am 100% in the same uh, boat as you. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I don't know how those guys do it because I struggle to keep up with everything I want to watch and read and do. And um, the six weeks of doing The Nevers... That was just one one show a week with, I suppose, a season's greetings in it mm. um, at, whatever, at, at that certain point. So two recordings that week. And yeah, I was struggling, if I'm honest. So yeah, how they managed, I mean, recording it every day, basically, I think those guys do, don't they? It's impressive. Chris and Dave definitely do. I think Steve is, he does Super Dummies every other week. I think I'm the Night is every week. And I think he's often on the DC Comics News podcast as well and i think he's occasionally on the harley quinn podcast as well so it's i think steve crazy. does yeah i think steve does at least one a week but it can be up to three or four and i think dave and chris do when it's love island season for the reality Oof. cast it's like more than one a day sometimes mm. uh, it's it's a lot i will say your video is frozen to me which for audio listeners is not a problem <laughs> uh, but it's funny because you're frozen in a really scary blurry state you're kind oh, of doing that like, in the blur so i don't know if it's worth turning the video off and turn back on um maybe, i'm just wondering if maybe i can what funny face i can pull for when i come back on oh that well that'd be brilliant i'll try and screenshot at the right time <laughs> <laughs> am i back yes you're back that's Itch. wonderful uh but i cut what you were saying to say that unfortunately that's all right i'm sure i'm sure we can just we'll loop we'll, we'll figure it out so we, oh, you talk about oh let's talk about uh, pop girls like, you're talking about the nevers and things like mm. that and obviously uh how you're um podcasting uh how it was hard to do it you know every week mm. and mm. you know fortunately because i'm working from home i managed to balance because i started the star wars podcast just went into covid so i managed to like blitz so much star wars reading and things mm-hmm. while i was working from home and it wasn't very busy um because i, I work in insurance so i primarily do have motor claims so obviously when covid happened there was no one really driving so it was quite easy sure. um so you, you obviously did the nevers which your first sort of proper solo thing mm-hmm. and then uh, there's pop gorillas which is a new cool concept which i thoroughly enjoy it's a nice oh, surprise good. so why don't you tell people about that because i think it's a really fun idea yeah i mean surprise surprise who's the brains behind it it's tony farina um <laughs> So again, just just um, what when I what, whenever I watch anything really, I um, or read anything, I just do like a little blog on it, um, mm. and I just do it as like a little diary really, just for myself. I'm not, I, I never pay any attention if it gets viewed or or anything. I, I'm not too fussy really. It's more just for myself, almost like a a running record of what I've seen and when I've seen it. And again, it's just another list for some reason that my brain wants to keep. Um, so from that, Tony thought, you know, could we do that bite-size idea, but record it and put it out there? Hmm. So, yeah, we, we discussed it, and um, we've got my sister involved. I think we did put it out to a couple other people, but they felt like it was another commitment they didn't want to take on for now. Hmm. Um, and we're just getting that going, really. So for a while, they were coming out as a little kind of, you know, like intros or outros to other people's shows, and I think you kindly offered um, to allow it on, on yours as well um, as some other shows. And then we've recently launched our own feed, Mm. Um, and I think we're going to continue the collaboration with Comics Motion. I think it is still going to go on certain shows here and there, yeah. but we didn't want to be hijacking people's shows all the time. We felt that like it was a bit unfair. So, mm. yeah, we're now launching. We've got to do a bit more to get it going. We've started the Twitter up and we started the the podcast feed up on Anchor. Mm. Um, but the idea is, yeah, yeah, so in less than sort of three minutes, really, three to four minutes, try and keep it as spoiler-free as possible. Just review what we feel like we, we want to review at that point. So... It doesn't have to be current. 
as much of my my film watching isn't really um if i'm following along with vhs or or um spider dan or uh, angry andy which i like to do i like to follow on people what they're watching mm. um or whatever you're inspired to watch at that point i suppose often i'm you know we have family movie night every saturday mm. um so what we're watching on family movie night won't tend to be crunk because i'm showing my eldest you know some of the classics that, that i really enjoy depending on what his tastes are at the time so yeah so throwing those out there and then we'll, we'll see where that goes really i mean i think it's a fun concept i think what i think we need to solidify a little bit i'd like to get kind of a bank of tracks to put behind mm-hmm. i'm sort of getting royalty free stuff at the moment to support it trying to match it to what the content of what i'm talking about is which works okay I'm not very musically minded, so I wouldn't be able to make anything myself. But I think, you know, anyone out there wants to come at us and provide us with some royalty for music. I think, you know, I'd like it to have a bit more of a cohesive feel across the three of us. Mm. That's good. That's a cool idea. Yeah, it's, it's short style reviews that are spoiler free, so anyone can kind of listen and tune in. They don't have to be... Because it's one of those things, like, I love uh, VHS Strikes Back and uh, Comics in Motion, the TV and movie show, and obviously mm. I do some amount of uh, reviews and things on mine. Mm. I find with series, generally, I am I want to... With series, I, I want to hear what people have to say about it generally more. Mm-hmm. And if it's a film... I find if it's a film that's in a universe or in a franchise, I really mm. like hearing people talk about it. When it's an individual film it may it's kind of a dependent like a lot of sci-fi films and things i love hearing people talking about but mm-hmm. when it comes to like like comedy films like i've listened to a few podcasts where they talk about comedy films but it's like listening to two people talk for an hour about a film that's an hour and a half long that's funny mm-hmm. is not nothing against people who make this content or consume it is completely fine I, I i get it somewhat but for me personally i'm just like i just i don't care enough <laughs> blunt, for being blunt whereas like with sci-fi because that's like my jam just anyone talking about something sci-fi ish that that i'm really sort of invested and when it's a big franchise like uh the guys uh, chris and dave um they've been doing the spider-man run through and i think they've recently been doing the x-men films <laughs> or the, the original ones as well and that got me into thinking oh i'm gonna show megan the x-men film so we've been um we've, we've finished first class the other day so we did the the, the trilogy uh origins wolverine wolverine First class, then we're doing Days of Future Past, and then nice. Logan, and not going to talk about Dark Phoenix because I haven't seen it, and apparently it's awful. It's not. It's not as bad as people make out. Honestly, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's all right. I think people are predisposed to disliking it, hmm. um, as I think they are with a lot of the X Universe stuff, which is a shame. I think I really it's, like it. It's the franchise that it feels okay to beat on for some reason. I don't hmm. know why, um, and has done ever since the Last Stand, really. Yeah, I like the last night when I rewatched it, with Megan. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I was like, the, the main. There's a couple of lines in it that are a bit crap, and Vinnie Jones is not good in it at all. <laughs> but like, aside from that, like, it's pretty dark. There's some very heavy moments in it. It's actually there's certain elements of it that are very well thought out, and I really like the storyline when you have got Rogue and she's sort of tussling with whether or not to get the cure and things. It's like this <laughs> always quite weighted. It has. It has weight that a lot of normal superhero stuff doesn't have. Like Megan, mm. Megan said she was going to be sick of superhero stuff. We got to the X Men and she was like, "Oh, I quite like this because it's, it's not about an origin story. It's just when you hit puberty, luck of the dice, you may or may not get this power." Which and she was saying for the the trilogy, she was like, "God, oh, being rogue would suck," and mm. like that's the whole point. And when her and Storm have that talk, and Storm's like, "When, when you know, there's nothing to cure," Megan was like. Yeah, coming from the woman who can shoot lightning, whereas this yeah. woman, this girl literally <laughs> cannot touch her boyfriend. Like, how can you even compare that? That's not fair. Yeah. Like, most of these mutants are just, they have magic powers, whereas some people don't have that. And I know, like, Fantastic Four somewhat explores it with uh, Ben Grimm and things. Mm-hmm. Is it ben Grimm? Is her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it explores him being the thing and stuff, which is cool. But it's like, 
you know, it, it's got a whole other layer to it. And I don't know why everyone... Like, everyone hated X-Men Origins Wolverine. I, I love it. Like, I understand the Deadpool criticism and the CGI, for some reason, is worse than the original X-Men trilogy, which I don't understand. <laughs> His claws do not look real at certain points. But the rest of it, like, I think, at least in broad strokes... The plot mm-hmm. is really interesting, hearing about Wolverine, like all that sort of stuff. Like, I really enjoyed it. The Wolverine, for me, is the weakest film because it just, it felt like an action martial arts film, but not as cool as some of the best ones, like The Raid yeah. or things like that. I was like, this is just a watered down action film with Wolverine in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, there's no, the best part is like the first 15 minutes uh, before he goes to, I think he goes to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last, then the post credit scene. And the rest of it is just. P- basically PG-13 action with mm-hmm. not really any blood and you're like this is alright and then it ends and you're like okay I don't know what you think about X-Men uh, in general the, the kind of lot of them uh, uh, yeah I don't know I mean, that is a franchise I've got on my list to rewatch at some point um, mm. it's another thing I like to do so like when the Fast and Furious 9 came out yeah so I like to I rewatch them all in the build I do that and- I normally show Megan as well I'm like I get to refresh and show her so we can go to the cinema together <laughs> Yeah, I do love doing that. So X-Men was on my list for New Mutants, um, mm. but that kept slipping back and back and back, so I just never got around to it. So I think it would at some point. Because there's some I haven't seen since their first release in the cinema. I was uh, the same. Origins being the same, being one, I think. I don't think I've seen that since the cinema. Um, so it's definitely a menace. I think they're generally underrated, if I'm honest. I think they're they're either good or fine with a couple of standouts. Yeah. I think Days of Future Past and um, Logan stand out. I'm I glad you said that. I, I was like, and X2 actually as well. And that's been a lot oh, yeah. better. Yeah. I was worried you were going to say X-Men Days of Future Past wasn't that good. I was like, no, what are you about to say to me? No, <laughs> no, like, no. That's no. like one of my favourite films ever, like superhero wise. And as is Logan, to be fair. I think, I think, I know it's true of all properties, but the X-Men is so beloved. And I think because of the, as you said, you know, the, the point of it is to empathise with these people, to see yourself in them. And I know that you can say that about all characters. Um, but the X-Men were so powerful and became so popular because of of what they were standing for uh, you know at the time they were coming out i think people really hold on to those and hold on to the storylines of them as well so when dark phoenix isn't done right in it's two iterations and even days of future past which is massively changed from the comic run hmm. um, but they did a good job of it within the movie universe i think it's the franchise that people seem to get the most upset about when they're being changes whereas winter soldier comes out and they're like oh yeah that fits in the mcu so we're fine with it hmm. but Within the X Men universe, it seems to be a, always be a problem that it's not how it was in the comics. I don't know why. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if it's. I feel like it partly because X Men, if it wasn't for Spider Man, X Men, and then mm-hmm. the sort of the trilogy of kind of rough around the edges. Well, actually, probably quadrilogy. You've got Ghost Rider, Hulk, um, Elektra, and Daredevil. Which I, mm-hmm. I like Daredevil. I do not like Elektra. I think Hulk is awful. But I, and I've heard the comics control thing. I'm gonna yeah. people like it, and that's <laughs> completely praising Tony. And now we're upsetting him. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things. I know. Other, I think Steve likes Hulk as well. I ain't got a problem with people liking him. I just despise it. Mm-hmm. Ghost Rider, I don't think is great. But, but I, I actually really like Daredevil, and I know a lot of people don't. I think we did. You do comics on trial of Daredevil. Uh, I do concentrate for Blade Trinity, but I do like Daredevil Blade, as well. Is yeah. Blade Trinity? No, yeah, yeah. Sorry, someone else did it for Daredevil. Um, I can't remember who now. Sorry, guys. Um, I knew I knew I'd heard you on Comics on Trial in mm-hmm. one of those things. I, I mean, I like Blade Trinity as well. I think it's definitely the weakest of the three, but I don't. But that wasn't the point you were necessarily not making. It's one of those things with X Men. I think they do it a lot, where it's like here's three films, and there's normally one that's the weakest. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite like even the the Wolverine trilogy, which. You know, calling it a trilogy is kind of loose. There's just kind of three <laughs> films that aren't 
specifically in order of something else and they've both they've all got Wolverine in you know you've, yeah. generally Origins is considered the weakest one with the original X-Men you've got the third one's the weakest one then with funnily enough with um, First Class Days of Future Past you've got Apocalypse so it's this weird thing where they yeah. I think people get upset because it's the same with Spider-Man I just realised Spider-Man 3 is weak they just can't <laughs> super superhero things before the MCU I just don't think they could land the third film really even Blade to be honest Blade and I'd argue the Dark Knight as well you know Dark Knight Rises is for oh me, yeah, that's definitely the weakest, the weakest. of the three. Uh, uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, it's hard to stick that landing, isn't it? Particularly when you're trying to do something that's rounding off. When usually the second film is that step up as well, isn't it? You know, you look mm-hmm. at the X Men, you look at Dark Knight, you look at Spider Man. All of those is second movie, the massive step up from the first one. Mm. Um, so I think the third one is always difficult to finish off, isn't it? Yeah yeah it's it's a weird one so we're linking with that that links in uh with um well basically your job in some ways which is Mm -hmm. you teach film uh and Mm -hmm. so it's well let's i want to ask how do you think how 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 long have you generally don't want to delve into your first (laughs) off where's your address where do you live you know where do you graduate um when did you actually start teaching sort of media film that sort of area sure so i retrained as a teacher when i was 30 so I've been teaching now for uh, 10 years. So obviously taking away, I'm 41, so taking away the, the training year. And then media and film is my passion. I, I studied media back at school. I studied film at university. Um, in my 20s, I did film reviews for a, for a newspaper, very small scale. It was a free newspaper in London. Um, you know, one of these ones given out at stations and stuff. I didn't get paid for it, but I got to see films free and early. So yes, yeah, right, fine. Yeah, I'll do that. Great. <laughs> Um, particularly in twenties when sometimes, you know, money's a bit tight. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> at that stage of your life. So I've always been involved in that realm really. And I just got a bit dissatisfied with doing an office job, if mm. I'm honest. So I looked into joining the fire brigade, um, and applied for that and got through to the interview stage. We didn't get any further, unfortunately. And I did that twice. I just thought this obviously isn't going to work out something. The, the interview for that is really interesting. It's all about like kind of scenarios it's not like, you know, what's your name? What's your best quality? What's your worst quality? It's none of that. It's like, here's a scenario. What would you do? Oh, okay. So clearly it looks into your kind of makeup and whether you are a fit for that for that job. Um, so I decided after two attempts, it, it's probably not going to work out. I could keep going down this road. So I tried some other things out and I worked at a school as a TA. I just jacked in my job and I worked two days a week, obviously on much less money, but I just thought it was worth it for a while. I got a job at a pub. And just to see how I felt about it and then got into teacher training. So, yeah, I've been doing that for 10 years. Mm. You get paired up being a medium film teacher with English, basically. It's always in the same department. So I've worked at two different schools. So, I mean, always at, at the two schools, always <laughs> that I've worked at. Um, it's paired up. I guess it's very similar schools. They're totally transferable, right? When you read a book and you analyze the words that are used, what's the subtext of that? What's the author trying to say? When you watch a film, What's the camera angles that I've used? What's the sound choices? What's the lighting? What's the subtext? What's the director trying to say? Um, so this makes sense. They're paired up. So in an ideal world, I'd be a media and film teacher. We don't have an ideal world, sadly. So I do teach English as well, which I do enjoy because, you know, uh, I'm passionate about comics, obviously. Reading as well. It is the thing that always comes last on my list, if I'm honest. Not for any reason. It's just, you know, reading a book is a endeavour sometimes. It mm. takes a lot of investment. I'm really bad at starting a book. The first half of a book will take me forever to read. And then I'll race through the, the back half. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. If it's a good book, of course. 
Um, so I do, or, you know, if, if, if it's a choice of what I'm going to do, I'm probably going to put on a movie first and then it's going to be a comic and then it's going to be a book. So that's where my brain works. So in an ideal world, I'd just be teaching media and film. And I think, because I've always been in this world really, since I was taught how to analyze stuff for myself, I've always had that part of my brain switched on. And it's really interesting doing it with students for the first time. You've never kind of done anything like this before. And you show them like a choice that's been made or a series of choices. So often I would print out some film stills and show them to them of a scene. And you see their little brains, which are like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I never thought of it in that context before. And I think once that part of your brain is switched on, it's, it's just on. And it doesn't take, you know, going to university to do it. It just, it just once you realise there's conscious choices being made and everything that's being done, it becomes fascinating to see and understand why those choices might have been made. Mm. Yeah, and it, it translates, doesn't it, to yourself when you consume film yourself? Because it's, you know, one of the things I like to joke about, I'm pretty certain I do it on air because I don't want to sound like I'm <laughs> talking about Tony negatively behind his back because this is a very good thing about Tony, but it always cracks <laughs> me up whenever he does podcasts. And I think he did it on the the 30 Days of Night podcast, um, which he did with mm. a chap from another podcast whose name escapes me. So sorry, Tony, and the guest on that for forgetting his name. But um, when they were talking about that, and it's the running joke with Tony where he he thinks of like an interpretation which is so complex and brilliant, it couldn't possibly be what the writer was making because sometimes what was the writer was making falls a bit flat. So it's like 30 yeah. Days of Night. He's like, maybe it's talking about sort of, I think it was like... Uh, isolation and then that linked to something else and something else and it was so clever and brilliant and i was like and i think the guest was basically like that problem if they were thinking that it would be a much better graphic novel than it actually was <laughs> like you've you're giving them far too much credit for being that brilliant when you've just came up kind of come up with that idea almost yourself through mm. the signs they've given you and it's like whenever tony describes something there's a, some of those times he's like do you think maybe this 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 and they go no no, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's what... I think they were just making a cool zombie vampire film, comic, whatever. But you know what I mean? And it's like... I do. Because he's an English teacher as well. Um, mm. I think it does come with that sort of uh, mindset in a lot of ways. As you said, it's not... Mm -hmm. It is something kind of a light bulb goes on. And once you kind of understand, it's hard to unsee it in that way. It is. And I think for a while, it affected the way I watched films, if I'm honest. Mm. I couldn't really switch it off. I couldn't switch off the eye the idea of analysing. And I have had students, whether they're trying to say it in a way to connect with you or not, I don't know, uh, like saying something similar. Oh, now I've learned this from you, sir. Like it feel, you know, I can't switch off when I'm trying to watch something for fun. Because yeah. I often talk to them about it, about how, that, how that's what happened to me. And I think eventually you do, you get over it. And, you know, I can totally switch off and just watch something for fun for now. Hmm. But it, yeah, I, I like the, like your phrase, this idea of it being a light bulb moment. It's, it's that if it's a good director, of course, or a good writer, Everything is there for a reason. Mm. Um, and you can see it. You can see it. In, you know, Handmaid's Tale, I just finished watching season four of that um, a couple of days ago. And that is one of the best made things I've ever seen. Mm, I've everything seen is there for a reason. Absolutely everything. Particularly in the framing of shots is fascinating. Where mm. they put people in the, you know, you and I are sitting here right now and we're in the middle, right? Because yeah. that's where, you, where your eyes go. But Handmaid's Tale very rarely puts anyone there. And in fact, we won't necessarily get into it, but I mean, in terms of like splitting up the screen into a grid, mm -hmm. people don't tend to put in, in films and TV people right in the middle. Um, but Hamisal takes it to extremes, you know, they'll be right in the tiny little corner and it's telling you a story about status and power and who's owning that scene. And it's a fascinating show to watch for that because it's quite wordy. Don't get me wrong. 
dialogue is important, but you probably could watch that show and mute and know everything that's going on. It's brilliant. Mm, that's very interesting because there's certain directors who specialise in that. There's two that come to mind for me, which is two very different directors, which is Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. obviously Wes Anderson is uh, it, famous a lot of the time for his, his framing. He likes to have a still mm-hmm. frame and things come into the shot. He likes mm-hmm. things to be symmetrical. There's videos on YouTube which shows that literally it's symmetrical to like the pixel almost when you're looking at it and it's like absolutely perfect. And he specifically does it and then he d- uses asymmetry when things are have like a disequilibrium. All these sorts of elements mm-hmm. to it because he is very attention detailed. Colour schemes always match, etc. Mm-hmm. Then you look at Edgar Wright and his, because he likes to intertwine comedy, it makes, it's all the subtle little things that are normally the funniest elements in a lot of ways. You know, the most obvious example... Obviously, you've got the Conor trilogy and things, and you've got Baby Driver, and he's, you know, Spacey's and a lot of other stuff. But, like, Scott Pilgrim is probably the easiest one to... It's a good entry point for Edgar Wright, because that film, everything's very obvious, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. It's one of my favourite films ever. Um, but it's basically, you know, everything's in your face. You've got this... In a lot of ways, there are some cool little side things that you can notice if you don't have... On the second or third or whatever watch, you can see things in the distance that may not have been so obvious to begin with. But with that, there's things popping out the screen, there's noises, there's video games, it's very mm. fast and intense and flashing lights and stuff. And with that, that's like... If you almost look for those things in another Edgar Wright movie, mm-hmm. you can see that. And it's just... He does it so well with... One of the biggest examples I can think of is with Ant-Man, where he originally was going to direct it and then mm. probably was going to make it too amazing. I mean, I love Ant-Man as a film, <laughs> but he was probably going to make it the greatest film ever made and you know Marvel couldn't deal with that, so they just pushed him to a side and let him just air quotes produce. And then there's the scene where um, Ant-Man and the wa- not the Wasp, uh, the Yellow Jacket are fighting and it's the Thomas mm-hmm. the Tank Engine bit. And it's just one of the funniest most brilliant scenes there is i think in the mcu of just it's so intense the music is coming and it's oh my god the train's gonna hit you and then it's like oh but they're tiny and it's 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 a yeah. toy train it wouldn't it couldn't do any damage at all and it's that that thing where it's all perspective and how it's filmed and things gives it a level of tense but you kind of realize at the last point like, Wait, isn't that thomas the tank engine and then it hits and <laughs> zooms out and you're like oh i see and edgar wright i think it's almost opposite to wes anson in a lot of ways the filmmaking but they both pay attention so much to what they Mm. do and that's why Mm -hmm. i think they have such a cult following and i think that that's why so many people are such big fans of theirs or certain people i think wes anderson has a lot less people who like him megan isn't overly a fan i absolutely adore him whereas edgar wright most people like edgar wright movies that like in general you know it's hard to find someone who hates Shaun of the dead because that just means your film taste is terrible i'm sorry it's one of the best (laughs) films sorry listeners it's one of the best films ever made you know (laughs) but i don't know what you think about those two and uh any directors that you really enjoy or anything yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the same page. With you. I think they're I think they're both brilliant. I mean, I think I understand why people don't like Wes Anderson because yeah. everything's mannered, right? It's 100%. very controlled. Um, yeah, it's all very controlled. He often comes into that criticism of like emotionless, which I I, I understand but don't find. But I mean, my favourite filmmaker is David Fincher, oh, who also him. comes in for the same criticism too. That his films are cold and they're distant, and they're not. It's just he's another one who's meticulous and he controls what's happening in a scene. And if you, I think, um, if you don't connect with the way that he's telling his story through camera work, through framing, through his cinematography, less so through performance, I think, is, is the issue, really. Um, not that people aren't great in his movies, they always are. I think I can understand why people feel like they're kind of being kept behind a, a wall. Like Michael mm. Mann gets it as well. People say that his films are emotionless and they're always at a which, distance. Which films has Michael Mann made? He's not one who springs to mind. He is his big, most famous one, but he did Mammy Vice. Um, oh, God. Wait, Black, I haven't seen that. Black Hat with Chris Hemsworth. 
is is fairly much. He did Ali with Will Smith. I don't think I've seen any of these films. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm a film buff and I've never even heard of Michael Mann. Uh, I'm going to have to subtly look him up while you're uh, talking because I imagine I've probably seen one random film of his that's like yeah, I'm sure you have. really yeah, small. Yeah. But please continue with uh, Michael Mann and other directors similar. No, yeah. I mean, so I think, um, yeah, I just think I understand. Whereas Edgar Wright is much more populist, isn't he? he yeah. And I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a bad way. I think, you know, we could we could debate indie versus mainstream and both have their absolute merits. Mm. But he he knows how to capture an audience doesn't he yeah everything yeah. he does is about drawing you into his world because the stories he tells ultimately are about the people in the middle of them so i think um yeah i think i understand like why you know where one is more broadly and widely appreciated I and mean, i think you know you look at where's anson like you said some fascinating stuff about like i'm turning into teacher mode now um about like the you know the symmetry of his shots and stuff and my brain's immediately going oh yeah he must be a fan of german expressionism cinema and uh his silence you know i'm sure he's got influences from silent cinema and Murno and blah 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 this this is the mode my brain goes into and i when i'm teaching the students i have i get them at 16 for film studies 16 to 18 and very often obviously they're students i've taught earlier on at school to english and without fail every year i'll get somebody that says you're like a different person you're a different teacher when you're doing film studies you know you've taught me for three years english and thanks i got my gcse um to which I say, well, you you got it, so you don't need to thank me. But um, yeah, like you're a different person to each film, and of course I am because I'm coming alive because I because it's my passion. I absolutely love it, and it's it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? You're doing something you love. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love podcasting so much. I just looked up Michael Mann. The only film I've mm. seen of his uh, is it's not even Heat. I haven't seen that either. It's Public Enemies. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, which Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, which I enjoy. I didn't I didn't think it was amazing. I liked it much more on the second watch than the first watch, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I think with with films and directors and whatnot, it is, uh, um, there's so many things. I've, I've got about three questions in my head all at the same time, and, I'm, and they're all pushing up. One's about the teacher thing, and one's about this, and one's about that, and one's about all kinds of stuff, which isn't good podcasting. I should have written it down in some sort of vague order. But when it comes to talking about film, I find whenever, I've got Megan a lot more into films since we've been mm-hmm. together, especially because we've been through pandemic and, you know, there's basically nothing else to do really, yeah. is there? Um, so, you know, we've watched, you know, the MCU, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit Extended Editions, um, lots of sort of big hitter uh, movies and things mm-hmm. that, that just kind of need to be seen. Um, and other X-Men films. It's kind of like stuff that's either going to be important for MCU stuff that we're going to watch. Like I made her watch all the Spider-Man films, even though mm-hmm. she wasn't the biggest fan because she loves Tom Holland and that's kind of probably the best Spider-Man so far. So you go back and you watch kind of Tim Maguire do a really good job, but he wasn't perfect. And then Andrew Garfield do a really good job in a different way to Tim Maguire, who still wasn't mm-hmm. perfect. And then you've got Tom Holland who just smashes it out of the park for both of them. And she obviously watched them and she's like, oh, these aren't quite as good. But when she watched... Oh, have, do you mind if I say what is in a trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home? If you haven't I, seen it, I won't. I've seen it. So okay, that's cool. So minor spoilers. I know there's some listeners to, of mine, Tonya Todd, one of them, who absolutely despises hearing any spoilers of any kind for anything, <laughs> which I respect hugely, but I just can't adhere to because I'm weak. But for the next 10 seconds, I'm going to quickly say something that's in the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, Tonya, in case you're listening. And that is <laughs> that, um, obviously in it, Doc Ock is in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was announced ages ago. Fortunately, Megan doesn't see a lot of news when it comes to casting mm-hmm. and stuff because she's on the internet, not in that realm, so she doesn't get the algorithm getting her. Whereas I obviously am. So I get all the news. And you, I saw that the guy who played um, played him, whose name is... Can you remember his name? Alfred Molina. There we go. I'm glad I had you here for a reason, just to, for me to talk about films <laughs> and me just point at you and you 
say an actor's name obviously he was announced and and he admitted he was being doc ock so immediately it was like okay well i know he's going to be in the film which is cool but it, it takes away a little bit but when megan yeah. saw the trailer she was like oh is that doc ock from spider-man 2 it's like yeah he is but she didn't even like spider-man 2 that much but once you've like we kind of have i think one of the reasons the mcu works so well is because people have just had years to really only watch one or two films a year which isn't that much i hear people go oh mcu they've got way too many films coming out this year i'd probably argue they do because it's like four or five films but normally it's like two films a year is nothing as as like an afternoon and it's like you just keep up with that vaguely and when these big films come out because you know all these connective tissue and stuff it means so Mm. much and i think with us who obviously i'm younger than you are um but you know to grow up watching the big hit of superhero films you've got you know the batman films and superman and stuff but i mean like post 2000s you've got x-men spider-man and all this other things when the mcu comes along it's like oh man i wonder if they're going to incorporate this element or that element or how they're going to do this bit and also reading comics adds another layer and that sort of thing so i just think um with i've I've managed to loop that background to talk about megan about six times in this conversation funny (laughs) enough because i think it's just i've been watching the x-men films i just want to talk about them which is ruining it um but i'm gonna have a breather because i've just rambled and derailed the conversation please say something <laughs> well, I think, um, yeah I think the, diff- the difference with what's happened with MCU I think is not just interconnectivity which is awesome which has obviously been in comics for a long time I think they are absolute masters at misdirection mm. so the amount of trailers they've come out with I, I mean you're right things get spoiled on the internet all the time you know I'm old enough that I used to have to go to campus on at uni to use the internet that I didn't have it you know, just at my beck and call. Um, my son, my older son, can't believe I didn't get my first mobile phone until I was 19. It's just like beyond him. He's nine and he's begging for it already. I was um, 60 when I got mine, like a proper one. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm, you know, I've got vivid memories of walking to, to campus and um, logging on and going on to comingsoon.net and looking at trailers and film news and all that kind of stuff like, in those kind of early days. So you're right, things do get spoiled, but they're really good at that kind of misdirection, aren't they? I mean, mm. you know, Infinity was a great example with the with them all running out of the um, Wakandan-like forest. And he had like Hulk there and uh, none of that's in the movie because it couldn't be because that moment doesn't happen. So they've specifically created that scene for the trailer in order to throw people off the scent that actually we're not really going to get Hulk in this movie. We're going to have Mark Ruffalo in a Hulkbuster suit. And they're really good at that um, that misdirection. I keep using that word. I was trying to think of another one, but I can't. English teacher, you know, please don't send your kids to me. Um, <laughs> They're also really good at putting like little teasers out there, mm. you know, like mentioning a name. Oh, well, you know, so and so is in talks for She Hulk, mm. and they'll see how the internet deals with it. And if the internet seems to like it, suddenly it's announced. You know, oh, Tatiana Maslany is now cast as She Hulk. Um, they're really good at that as well. I think you know this has been leaked, so they they're really on their game. I think they really know what they're doing in terms of their marketing definitely hmm. and uh, with sort of passions and things because one of the things with megan as i remember why i brought her up actually um because mm, right. i've been getting her into films getting you know showing a lot of these other films because a lot of the time when i hang out with her friends who um they're all delightful people a lot of them massively into films but megan mm. before me wasn't she enjoyed films but she wasn't like her main thing is harry potter she adored harry potter um above all she's harry potter i'm styles but we both loved the other one um and it's like 
when we hang out with our friends often they talk to me about films a lot because we've got like film mm-hmm. post we've got a film poster up which is like a scratch off poster 100 films and you scratch mm-hmm. them off when you watch them and things it's got he's got Shawshank Redemption but it's also got like in Bruges and stuff in there Green I Mile. may well have the same one I would probably do yeah um, <laughs> so it's, it's really cool and stuff and I always, I've got like hundreds of DVDs and Blu-rays and things so whenever people like film the first thing they can do when they come into the lounge is go oh and then look through that and basically mm-hmm. ignore Megan and just talk to me for like ages about film and I've noticed that in, at the start, because we've been together for over three years now, towards the start of our relationship, she you know, she wouldn't necessarily try and get involved that much because she just mm-hmm. didn't have the background knowledge. But because now mm-hmm. she's been a part of so many conversations with films and because she's now seen so many that somewhat at least relate to them or have some sort of connection, she's much more involved with that. And I think, mm. you know, that's a big part of it as well is I didn't really realise until dating Megan that there is... that There's so, much, so many films that connect to so many other films, but also how some people just aren't that into films as much a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's similar in some ways with music because I, for me, I didn't get into music as much until I got into heavy metal. And then once I got into that, it, then I liked pop music more. I liked this more. I liked everything else more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the light bulb moment is that with one's own interest and passions, sometimes it could take years for you to be into something. Um, you could, Some people can force you into it. It doesn't really work. You know, the amount of people that I've shown certain bands to and they're just not that into it. But then they get into other bands years later and then get into the bands I'd recommend them prior and people have done Mm -hmm. it for me. And I think it's a weird thing with people of like being into that passionate thing that you love and films, you rewatch a film years later and because you're in essence a different kind of person as you were before (laughs) in some ways, it hits in different ways. So with you being a teacher, obviously that must be quite a big thing where when you were younger, you watched the film like, oh, this is sick. And then you watch it later and you're like, oh, because I noticed X, Y, Z, maybe it's not as good or even vice versa. Mm. That's definitely true. I mean, obviously that's one of the key features that we do on um, Seasons Greeting is that we look at it through the 2021 lens. And I think that's important. I mean, I'm a bit wary of of everything being criticised for, you know, for being in its time and its pace. I don't, I don't think we should do that. But I also don't think we should shy away from considering what, what could be done slightly better and what could have been improved. Mm. Um yeah, it's true. I think what you said there is really insightful, that idea of, you know, like things definitely change and they we have that nostalgia and we hold on to things and it will it, that will never go away, I think. You know, probably my top five movies will never change the rest of my life, no matter what comes out, because they mean the most to me. And I grew up watching Die Hard and I grew up watching Back to the Future and um, that will never change. I grew up watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. Go on, name the other so two. I, go on. Uh, Raiders actually isn't in my top five. What is it? So... Um, yeah, Die Hard and Back to Future are the two obvious. Star Wars New Hope is, is the other one. Is top, they're probably in my top three. I, I love Rocky, uh, the original, and Fight Club probably would be my... Oh, I love Fight Club so goddamn much. And that, for me, again, that's such like a, a moment in time. So I was 19 when that came out, and I was studying film at uni, and still that came out, and I was like, what? You can do this in film? This is amazing. It blew my mind watching it in the cinema. 1999 was a good year, man. We had Matrix wow. and we had Fight Club. I was talking about this at work today. Literally well, we had Magnolia today. that year as I was well. Saying, I was saying my birthday, my birth year, sorry, 94. I was saying 94 and 99 are two of the best mm. film years ever. Because uh, 94, I think, was like Forrest Gump. Um, and I think, was Shawshank 99 or 94? Shawshank sounds like, Nightfall sounds about right. I yeah. think so as well. And then I just looking through them, I was like, oh, all these comedy films as well. And like so many, I think Four mm. Weddings and a Funeral was either 94 or 99 as well there's so many different films like that and there's so many great years for them but yeah Fight Club I, like for David Fincher like he's one of my favourite directors ever like he it, I think Danny Boyle 
and David Fincher are probably my two favorite directors ever. I think. Okay. Like I love Wes Anderson movies, but Danny Boyle. When I watched Train Spotting, that changed my life. Like yeah. as in, I was fifteen. I think. Um. Yeah. Year ten. Um. So I was fifteen years old, and I remember my religious studies teacher. We, in my school, um, because it was a not a religious school at all, for religious studies at GCSE, or no, maybe it was year nine, actually, because I remember other people being in it. Yeah, just the standard curriculum one. We did the least religious one. So we did about morality and stuff. We did about, like, drugs. And then we did about um, euthanasia, abortion, th- those sorts of, you know, moral questions to do with law and etc. And we talked about drugs. And one of the things we had to go on, talk to Frank, the website, um, and went over there and looked up loads of information on drugs and stuff. And I remember talking to the teacher, my RS teacher at the time, and he mentioned train spotting. And he was like, mm. Oh yeah, it's a very good film. It's interesting seeing about addiction, blah, blah, blah. Um, he was like, Well, that toilet scene is horrendous. And I was like, Okay, mm, I know there's a weird toilet scene. So I watched it when I was probably you know, a few months later, maybe. And the toilet scene didn't bother me at all. But the whole sort of view on addiction and how like I'd seen, I think at that point, because I've got two older brothers who are 17 and 20 years older than me so that's how i've seen terminator aliens all these sort of <laughs> cool 80s films i had them to show me but like when i watched um train spotting it was just like this is really it's british social realism so it was unlike anything i'd ever seen and i was like this is just like real life i, I knew you mcgregor because obi-wan and stuff but um i was just like this is like it doesn't feel hollywoodized it doesn't feel glamorous this is just kind of this is a life of a heroin addict and it's really intense but it's not like oh woe is me life is awful it's kind of like this is it's hard to do this it's hard to be a heroin addict although it is completely for the most part on me it's still there's these other factors that kind of contribute to it and it really really changed that as well as a book called heroin diaries by nikki six the basis of motley crew um the, that book and reading and watching uh train spotting those two together completely changed my view on addiction like permanently like i never looked at addiction in the same way because of that and they're both about heroin so even something like a film it can change how you perceive the world and that's what a lot of good films of social commentary can do and mm-hmm. things agreed i mean train spines on our um on our list that we teach um and it's a brilliant one to do i mean so we're looking at showing that to 16 17 year olds yeah obviously depending on their age when they're watching it and it came out when i was 16 so we're all at that you know it came out in 96 so we're all at that sort of age it's the perfect time to see it um, Agreed. It's. A, I would argue it's probably a flawless movie. Mm. And I, I, I'm with you, you know, it's five stars. I love it. It's not one I go back to and watch a lot because at times it's a pretty harrowing watch. Mm. Um, I do go for a phase yeah. watching it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when it came out, everyone did, you know, we all had that poster on the wall. I had we the poster. Yeah, all the lyrics, choose life, choose a fucking great television, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I had that post on my wall for probably about 10 years. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm glad that continued past my generation too. Um, and you're right, there's so much that's going on in that movie. There's so much that's being said. And that's what's fascinating when I'm teaching is that you, you know, you can look at train spotting on a surface level and enjoy it, but there's so much more that you can investigate and look at in there as well. And then you start building in the kind of the historical context for the students and what was going on in England at the time it was set. And then also the time it was made and why, why in 96 are we making a film set in the eighties and what are they trying to in- So Yeah, you're right. There's so much to say. Um, Danny Ball is amazing. And I think what is an inspiration about him is that he can jump from genre to genre. Mm, yeah. Um, and still produce the quality that he does. And I think he's almost, 
I'm trying to think how to how to word this properly. There's a, a wonderful scene in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I know is divisive, but I absolutely love it. I, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, so I won't. This, this isn't a spoiler, don't that's, worry. That's fine. I trust you. I trust you. It's on my list. I've got it on Blu-ray, but it's a okay. big Tarantino film that I want to watch, but it's obviously quite long. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is quite long. Um, but there's a wonderful scene when they're talking about like the process of acting. Mm, yeah, and um, a character says like, "Well, if you change how I look, people won't recognise me. They won't know it's me." And the director's like, "Yes, you'll be acting, darling." Um, and there's a lovely moment in the movie where, like, it's a real wake-up call for, for for the character. And I think Danny Ball is like, as a director, mm. like, he almost disappears into his works. Like, I, I do prefer Fincher, but a Fincher movie is a Fincher movie. You know it's his movie. You you can see stuff in it. Um, there's certain things he does in all his films. And there's certain topics, actually, that he keeps coming back to in his films. Um that make it very obviously a Fincher movie. Whereas I don't think Paul does that. I think he disappears into it and the subject matter is what matters to him. There's an awesome um, YouTube online that you may have seen, I don't know. It's by the Nerd Writer or Nerd Writer One, I think his name is. I don't think I've heard of that, no. And it's called How David Fincher Hijacks Your Eyes. Okay, that and sounds interesting. It's brilliant. And it's, you know, as somebody who has watched his films for years and I did my dissertation on his um, movies, actually. I did it on his... Bre- his presentation of masculinity in his movies, which was up at that point up to fight club. Hmm. Um, I'd never even noticed this or thought about this. So this, this YouTube videos, like I said, it's about five minutes long. It's brilliant. It's about how he uses the camera and, and how it matches what's going on in the scene. And once you see that, you're like, Oh my God, like how has nobody noticed this before? Like, how has it taken this clever person, this nerd writer one to notice it and talk about it? Um, well worth watching if you're a Fincher fan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to write this, write that down. Well, I've also made a note, which is Boyle and Fincher. Fincher, they're two of my favourite directors because mm. I like, I like happy endings, but I like darkness. Sure. I, I very much. I would rather a film brings you up, bluntly fucking destroys you, mm-hmm. and at the end there's a glimmer of hope, and it mm-hmm. ends mm-hmm. kind of like that. Like Children of Men is quite a lot like that. I fucking sure. love that film, um, and that's very much like that. I, I really like. Like I think. Danny Boyle a lot of the time is quite gritty. Even the films that aren't are different genres. I haven't seen. I think it's, is it Catch Me If You Can? No, that's a completely different film. It's it's a film with Ewan McGregor, and it's a it's like a comedy film. He made it after. Oh Trade yeah, Boy. yeah. I haven't um, seen that. Yeah. What's that called? That's um, the Downwards with Way. With Cameron Diaz, that is with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's so. like a it's like a Bonnie and Clyde type. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I saw it had mixed reviews when I looked it up ages ago. But I've seen like Your Shallow Grave, Twenty Days Later, Sunshine. Yeah. You know the main uh, trance, the main hitters. Um, but like, I think Danny Boyle is gritty, and he always generally always has one really uncomfortable scene. You know, in Train Spotting. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a couple in certain films, but like Train Spotting, I think is the baby scene. In yeah, Slumdog yeah, Millionaire, yeah. it's the eyes and the burning, you know, scene. In uh, Trance, there's a scene um, where someone gets their fingernails pulled off. It's like mm-hmm. they're not. It's not like sore level or anything like that. It's just a scene that makes you feel uncomfortable because it's so close. It's, it's real. It could all of these things realistically could happen to you. The baby one is slight, depending on what part of the baby one, the start of the whole baby scene is absolutely harrowing and horrendous. And that can happen to anyone, you know, um, mm-hmm. but obviously when you see it on the, the wall later, not so much, but still it's obviously all connected. Whereas I think David Fincher is very much darkness. David Fincher. Mm-hmm. I find like, I haven't seen all his films. Um, obviously I've seen fight club. Um, I've seen uh, his version of girl, the dragon tattoo, which is one of my favorite films ever. I love mm-hmm. that. And, 
Oh, he's done so many others, which I'm mainly blanking on right now. What do you have a seven? favorite? He's in seven. Yeah, seven is, is probably my famous one, isn't it? I'd argue. Zodiac. Um, Zodiac is the only one I didn't like. Okay. I watched it. I think my hopes for it were different because uh, slight spoiler alert for people. Um, obviously, they didn't catch the Zodiac killer. It was never a thing. And I no, which is quite famously true to life. Well, yeah, exactly. But I didn't know that yeah. going into it. I'd heard vaguely of the Zodiac killer. And I was like, oh, cool, film about yeah. the Zodiac killer. I'll watch that two and a half hours. And then it ends and you don't know. And it's like, mm. oh. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, well, that was kind of not... I, I, has, I don't want to say waste because it's quite insulting to everyone involved in that film, including him. And obviously, people enjoy the film. But it was like, oh. Mm. It was just one of those endings. I was like, really? And it was just really unsatisfying. But that's on me for not knowing my history. And I, obviously, that's what everyone, <laughs> everyone in the film felt like. And that's kind of the point. But it was like... All his other films have kind of got, you know, something. There's a bad guy of some vague description, sure. and they generally get yeah. the justice in some sort of horrendous way. That's generally like Girl on the Dragon Tattoo, like yeah. um, the the rape scene. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. awful. But then they revisit it and you know, flip it without spoiling it for other people. And that, although it's very hard to watch, it's kind of that. For me, it's that very dark, sadistic part of me that's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you fucking deserve that. It's like, I don't want to watch people get harmed, but when it's someone who's a piece of shit and they deserve it... Oh, yeah. It, and it's in a film, you know? I can watch most things in film. So I think that with Fincher, it's kind of almost... Well, let's watch horrible things happen to people and then they kind of get what's coming to them. Whereas I think Danny Boyle's more like, here's a person which is going through life, but let's mm-hmm. just push the envelope quite a bit, you know, into what, how far obscure it kind of goes whilst most of his films realistically would could happen that's kind of the point and i think that's kind of the difference in there is mm-hmm. like david fincher is kind of pushing the line slightly further yeah for a more consistent amount of time and i think that's why i quite enjoy both of them yeah that's really interesting yeah i think that's true i think yeah all, all lives in a, a realm of reality whereas perhaps fincher is more surreality mm. but Interestingly, probably films his makes his films more realistically mm. than Boyle does. I think the techniques Boyle employs are much more showy, yeah, um, much more surreal. Um, yeah, really interesting. I'd say go back and watch Zodiac, right, and do it from the perspective that it's a movie about obsession, right. Forget the fact it's a serial killer at the middle. <laughs> it's not really about that. It's about obsession and how the three main characters, the three men can't forget about this case yeah and then you think about it in terms of like david fincher is famously an obsessive man and does what 90 takes and all this stuff i think it's a bit of a cathartic movie for him in that way as well not that it's changed him i believe he still goes on and does all the same amount of takes if you listen to what ben affleck says about gone girl Mm. oh that's another film of his i love that is an ace movie yeah it's it's one of those weird things yeah i i like with films, I call myself a film buff, but then I make this, I've made this joke on the podcast before where it's like, I'm a film buff. And then you you say it to anyone and they go, oh, really? Have you seen these three films? You're like, nope, nope, and nope. Oh, but what about this really favourite film? No, I haven't seen that. Have you seen Citizen Kane? No, I haven't actually. Oh, have you seen this? No, sorry. And it's it's one of those things. So I'm always a little bit hesitant to call myself a film buff, but I've no. seen like so many. <laughs> it's interesting. I think, you know, that, that term gatekeeping has become prevalent in recent years. Mm. And I think... There's lots of terms that become prevalent, which I think are a bit rubbish, but I think that's a really important one. And I think if you're a film buff if you love watching films. It doesn't matter if you like watching the same five films. Hmm. If they're the five films that mean the most to you and you love watching them, then you're a film buff. I don't think, I don't, I don't believe that you need to have seen seen this list of movies to consider yourself a film buff. I think it's rubbish. Hmm. And I think anyone who kind of gatekeeps in that way 
but I, I, I don't know what they get. Well, I don't know what they're getting out of it. You know, we're having discourse, and you've seen films I haven't seen, and I've seen films you haven't seen, and it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, clearly you're passionate. Clearly you love what you love, and you can talk about um, from a place that is uh, as a fan, but also as somebody who has got interested into how that film has been made and what's the process behind it, and what, who's the director, and how how do their films link together? And clearly you're a film buff because you've gone into Got, you've gone past the point of just like, oh, I've watched this movie, that was all right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've, there's a lot of films I've watched a lot of times as well. And, yeah, uh, yeah for and that, that's fine too. Yeah, for different reasons and things. Well, I appreciate um, you saying that anyway. But with with passion and sort of linking in that in with cult classics is something I, I want to talk about because I'm quite intrigued mm. by it. Now, Megan, there's normally two ways that Megan will say she won't like a film. Um, one mm. is which is if something really, really, really weird happens in it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, have you seen? Have you seen the film "Sorry to Bother You"? I haven't. No, that's um, the telephone exchange. I really recommend it. It's unlike anything I've seen before. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it's the guy from um... uh, Get Out. He's in. He's in Get yeah. Out. He's not the main guy. He's. Um, I, you've seen Get Out, I assume. I have, and he's the in Atlanta, with... isn't he, with um, Donald Glover? I haven't seen. I, I think he oh, is. Okay. No, I think he. I think I remember someone saying he was. But in Get mm. Out, he's the guy who's got the helmet on. He's the one who says "Get out" to um, Daniel Kaluuya's yeah. character. Um, well, sorry about you. Is amazing. I really recommend that. Mm. This I, and this is not going to be a spoiler at all. But something very weird happened in it, and Megan mm. enjoyed the film until this point. And if there's a scene which loses Megan, she mm-hmm. it's very hard to get her back on board again. She even if it's right at the end, if it's near the start, whatever. If there's one moment where she really doesn't like and pulls her out, it kind of ruins the whole experience. Whereas I'm a lot mm-hmm. more forgiving because there's a lot of films I've seen which have some scenes more so the Star Wars the prequel trilogy which are just annoying and you know maybe not crap <laughs> but there's a couple of you know mo- most stuff for Jar Jar or Anakin and Padme it's just a bit weak and it takes you out a little bit but the, the cool mm-hmm. bits for me are much better than the, the low bits in a sense sure. but for her there's a weird if a weird thing happens or if um, it's co- if she knows it's called a cult classic beforehand she won't intentionally dislike it, but even films I show her and I don't tell her she's a cult classic, she was like, I wasn't really a fan of that. I thought, mm. and, and she was like, what do you think of it? And I was like, oh, I love it. It's great. It's a cult classic. She's like, ah, that's why I didn't like it. And so I want to ask you, obviously being uh, a film teacher, is there some sort of definition of cult classic? Is it that the main, most people don't like it and a lot of people have to? Because like Fight Club's a good example of a cult classic mm. where it didn't do well in the box office at mm-hmm. all, yet it's rated pretty... It didn't wasn't rated very well when it first came out hugely, but then yeah. it's kind of had the renaissance of home release. And there's quite a few films that have had that. Like the prequel trilogy is a very good example. You know, once the once memes became a proper thing on the internet mm-hmm. and people kind of found how silly some of the bits in Star Wars can be, they used that. And now the user ratings of, you know, most people enjoy the prequels now and it's the sequel hating bandwagon they've ever now. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. But I wondered if, if you know a definition of sort of cult classics or if, if there is one in particular. So I think what you've just provided is is one way to to term it. That idea of, as you said, either not financially or not reviewed successfully to then have a renaissance and then be reconsidered later on. That's definitely one of them. I think more so box office wise. You know, Fight Club as you said is a good example. Films that just don't don't make much money, but then get the second life. That's definitely true. But I think those films that don't necessarily get a big following. But the people that do love it are really voraciously and vocally in love with that movie. I think is another way you can think of cult classics in that, you know, and even if it is crap, and it doesn't matter if it's crap, people sometimes know it's crap, but they still love it anyway. And I I think 
for me, that's probably the, the truer definition of a cult classic where it, it really doesn't matter the quality. It's, it means something to you and you want to celebrate that. So, you know, The Room. I was about to which, say The Room. Best example. Absolutely. Love so, it. You know, you, there probably isn't a better example anymore than that. That, um, yeah, p- people just want to celebrate it no matter what. So, so therefore, it has to become a classic, right? Because if you've got a big bunch of fans who like it, and I guess by definition, a cult is a group of people who are all interested in the same, interested in following the kind of the same ideal. Um, that's where those two things meet together, right? Mm, yeah, the, the room is a great example, and also I find that this. I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper here with what I'm about to say, but like I find that most people who really enjoy the room are mm-hmm. really into films because. If you're not sure. that into films and you haven't seen that many films, you go, oh, that's just a crap film. But it's like, yeah. if you if you actually watch it, it's almost like, I, I think it's it might be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse where they do this, where Miles, he answers wrong. On, it's like a multiple choice thing. It's four things. And he answers wrong on every single question. And the mm-hmm. teacher goes to him and says, if, I, if, you, if you didn't know what you were doing and you completely guessed every one of these, there's <laughs> no way you could have got them all wrong. Like it, It's just statistically near on impossible. The only way you could have got it this wrong is for knowing what the answers are and not choosing them. The right. room is kind of like that with movies because sure. it's so bad and it fails on so many levels on almost every aspect you look at it that it's spectacular because it's so terrible <laughs> and it's it's so brilliant because all the dialogue is terrible it doesn't make any sense he reuses footage which is a no-no all the photo frames have got like the default forks in them the fork <laughs> britches for when you buy them from a cheap shop it's just like every level of what film goers appreciate about films is done badly in the room and it's very rare to find a film like that you know most bad films you get like I mean, there's a lot of bad horror films that are cult classics as well, but they're like films like Demons and things. They're mm-hmm. like so bad, they're funny because it's just like, ah, it's a dumb horror film. And, and the line between scary and funny is very, very sort of mm-hmm. thin because it's it's all about surprise, really, at the end of the day. One's about surprise. Oh, I didn't expect that. Ha-ha. And the other one's, oh, shit, I didn't expect that. You know, there's generally it's a similar ride you have to keep doing that um you're mm. pulling the curtain uh, pulling the rug out from underneath the viewer and uh misdirecting people and etc but with the room it's just like yeah every element of it is it just is bad it looks bad in certain places there's the horrible green screen there's the jarring acting there's pl- scenes that don't fit together at all and it's edited poorly there's just you could almost, if I tried to make a bad film, I'd still somehow, <laughs> there'd be some things I'd somehow do that are good. Even, air quotes, crap films that really fail, like some of the superhero films. Like Superman, Spider-Man 3 is quite divisive. A lot of people hate that film. I really still quite enjoy it in certain ways. But no one would say every single element of that film is terrible. Because realistically, most of it's really good. It's just, there's a couple of elements that with the character and the story. But visually, it still looks good. You know you know what I'm kind of saying with the room, do, yeah. comparatively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I have to watch student films every year, so I know what bad anime films are. Um, <laughs> Even them must be better than The Room, like, in a critical sense, surely. <laughs> Some of them. Well, let, let's consider, you know, they're making it with no budget and oftentimes nowadays just on their mobile phones. Um, let's give them some credit that they didn't have a good budget. And Well, yeah, well, Tommy Wiseau having God knows how many millions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. And I think... Um, I guess the other the other way that I think of cult as well is that you know you mentioning horror made me think of this is those films which really push the boundaries. Mm. Um, so therefore, they they enter that realm of you know kind of cult because not everyone should watch this. I think is, is another way to think of it. 
Um, so yeah, demons I hadn't seen till recently actually, and because my friend Spider-Man was doing it on his podcast, I, I watched that and its sequel. Um, absolute joy in that movie. I think I've only have I seen. I've, I think I've I've seen one of them. I think I've I've got one of them on DVD. I can't remember if I have Demons or Demons Two, but so it one's is, in a cinema and one's in an apartment. It's block. a cinema one I've seen. So that's the first one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's so good. It's so bad, but it's so good. Yeah, exactly. It's so bad. It's so good. I mean, that's the famous phrase, isn't it? But there's certain films which like that French horror went through for a phase of this in the early um, aughts. I never know what to call that. I hate the term noughties. I hate the term aughts. But I mean, what, what, what do you pick? Uh, the zeros. Um, Early 2000s, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the better way to say it, quite. <laughs> um, so yeah, French horror. So I was really interested in watching a lot of them. And there's a film called Martyrs. Is that the one where she cut, where the end of the scene is a woman laying pregnant on stairs and they cut open her stomach and pull the baby out? No. I have seen that as well, but I can't think what that's I can called, never remember yeah. what that's called, but that's during like a French Revolution or something as well. And it's yeah, and it's in, in that house. area. They had loads of French horror, loads of horror coming out of France, which was really pushing boundaries. And Martyrs is all about like um, a cult who used torture to try and transcend human existence. And it goes to some real, real, I mean, I think there was an American remake. I never bothered watching it because it goes to some really horrible, dangerous, dark places. So that's a cult movie because not everyone should watch that, I don't think, because it would really upset quite a lot of people. So yeah, I think I think there's a few different definitions really, and I think all the films that you've mentioned and we've been discussing fit into it in different in different realms. And I, but I think, I guess in all of those, you're right. The key factor would be you need to be interested in the medium in order to seek them out. Hmm. I want to seek out this film that everyone talks about that I haven't seen, or I want to seek this film out that it's meant to be so bad it's good, or I want to seek this film out that is really going to push my boundaries and make me see something in a new way. And that's something I, I like doing, like whether it be Martyrs or... It's funny, isn't it? How often it is horror. The Love Witch was a great movie from a couple of years ago, which is ostensibly horror, but not really. But again, it's nothing like nothing I'd seen before. And at times was purposefully made to seem like it was badly made, but not like The Room. Like, like almost kind of like bad, tra- bad transitions, but done on purpose in order to tell its story. Mm. Um, that's a, br- a really interesting movie. So yeah, sometimes it's about getting out of your comfort zone, I think, and, and trying something new. And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Part two will be out next week at the same sort of time. But as I said in the intro, if you cannot wait for that or you just really want to support this show and appreciate how much work goes into it, go over to patreon.com slash chat. And for as little as £1 a month, which is like $1.30 or something, you get access to hours and hours of additional content every month, including early access to any of these episodes I split into two. So the full unsplit two-hour-long episode is already on Patreon. Uh, and you get access to an RSS feed so you can put that in the podcast app of your choice and then you get access to all our Afterthoughts episodes as well that me and Megan do at least once a week uh, where we talk about either some new movies we've seen at the cinema uh, which are spoiler free reviews or we talk about TV series or some you know we did an X-Men rewatch Spider- well Megan never seen the X-Men film so we did those Spider-Man lots of things uh, that either are nerdy or just not nerdy stuff films like Little Miss Sunshine and Knocked Up 27 Dresses that sort of thing so it's quite a wide berth of stuff if you want like a nice mini movie show that episodes are only about 10 to 15 minutes long generally each with a few that are a bit longer than that and you want to support the show and you want early access to genuine chit chat episodes and a few other bits and pieces then please consider checking out genuine chit chat on patreon
So aside from that, guys, obviously the link's in the description to Jack's movie blog, which is really cool, as well as his Twitter and, you know, his other shows, which are on Comics in Motion, Seasons, Greetings, Pop Gorillas, and his involvement in Indie Comic Spotlight. And he mentioned a video in this part, which was about how David Fincher hijacks your eyes. A link to that is in the description. I really recommend it. It's only like five minutes long, and it really will change how you view David Fincher films. It's really, really cool. It doesn't spoil any of his films either. So if you've only seen like one or two David Fincher films, like Seven or Fight Club or Gongo, please check this out. It is it is really, really cool. It blew me away because so I watched it after me and Jack had this conversation. So aside from that, what have we got coming up? Well, next week I've got, well, the week after next, I've got a conversation planned with someone to do with Star Wars. I'm quite excited. They're not necessarily a creator of Star Wars content for the masses, but they are someone who creates Star Wars content in the similar way that I do. That's kind of your hint in some ways. I'm very excited to release that conversation, but obviously I haven't recorded it yet. So I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't see why it wouldn't be, but we shall see in that regard. Uh, I've also got plans for other people in Comics and Motion to come on the show as well. I think myself and Rhea have been talking about it. Um, also soon to be coming out is the Comics and Motion Book Club, the second episode of that, where we talk about Art Spiegelman's mouse. So when that comes out, I'll be sure to post that on social media and things as well, because that is a really, really interesting chat. And both Jack and and Rhea are involved in that as well as a couple of other people as well. Well, Tony Farina and Dave Horrocks, I don't need to say a couple of other people. Um, and aside from that, guys, you know, check out my Patreon, check out my Star Wars show. If you've never read a Star Wars comic in your life and you kind of want to get into the realm, or even if you have no interest in buying or reading the comics, but you want to find out some of the information that you've been missing out on, Star Wars comics and canon found on the feed of Comics in Motion or found on Genuine Chit Chat's YouTube channel. It's perfect for anyone who's been reading all the Star Wars comics or none. I talk about the story and plot and things. I talk about it in enough detail so you understand uh, the broad strokes of the plot and things. And I pick out certain elements of it that I think are quite interesting to talk about. And I also talk about the many, many connections because as the Star Wars canon slowly gets wider and wider, there are so many connections to things. You know, you read a comic and you see a character that seems familiar and you want to be like, oh, where have I seen them before? Rather than you have to look it up and spend all that time, I do all that for you. And often I give trivia information and little tidbits here and there as well. So if you already read the Star Wars comics and you want refreshers on one you've already read or you want to find out about some of the connections and stuff you may have missed check out the show if you're really into star wars but you don't really have the time money or, or interest to read all the star wars comics check it out anyway because there's certain characters i do things on like darth maul kylo ren count dooku lots of them where i just go through the comics they've been involved with and that sort of thing so make sure you check that out make sure you check out all of the episodes that jack has been involved with in comics and motion because it is a lot of fun uh, make sure you tune in next week support the show on patreon just do everything i'm telling you to do and and then become a mindless drone and just become part of the cult of genuine chit chat. I want to clarify there's no cult of genuine chit chat. Not yet. But, you know, that's really it from me, I think, guys. Although I'm going to be rambling on here for hours and I'm very tired today. So um, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you tune in next week. And also tweet at Jack. Tell him how much you enjoyed him coming on the show. It is at I am Jack's Musings. And as I said, link and the Twitter handle is in the description. Uh, but thank you, as always, for listening, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you, especially listening all the way up to the end and uh, i'll talk to you next week with part two you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of star wars comics and canon found on the comics in motion podcast mike burton